thank you all for being here. Thank you for joining us. Visitors, thank you again for um, check, coming and check us out. Uh, for those of you joining us online, um, whether it's on YouTube or Facebook, hopefully audio, video is, is working good. Um, if you want to know more about our church, Fresh Vision Church, I uh, want to invite you to visit our website, fvcelp.org. And there you will find our statement of faith, um, our beliefs, a little bit of a little bio about myself, um, our COVID guidelines, um, uh, just basically what, what we're up to. Uh, there's also, if the Lord's put it in your heart to give, we don't have a formal offering. Uh, we left the tithe box in the back. And, you know, if you want to give, you can just give out of the joy of your heart, no obligations. Um, also, again, if you're watching online, you know, we have a PayPal link and you can do it that way. But just be in, keep in mind that when you do give uh, through PayPal, they do take about 3% of your tithe and offering. Um, if you're okay with that, um, we're okay with that. I just wanted to let you all know. Um, and so again, do it out of the joy. We want you to do it out of the joy of your heart. Um, we hope that after today's message, you will have been blessed. Again, leave us comments or questions on either Facebook or YouTube. We also uh, ask that you that you subscribe, that you like, that you share this message with others as well. Um, your viewership is is appreciated and it blesses us very much. I've titled today's message "Hidden in Plain Sight," and we're going to be covering the middle section of Luke 24. And in today's passage, we're going to be looking at an event that occurred the same day, actually, after Jesus was resurrected. Um, you know, an important, amazing, beautiful event that we can learn a lot from. And, uh, and I hope that after today, uh, somehow, some way, the Lord will have ministered to you, will have, spoke, will have spoken to you, um, especially if you are looking, been looking for the Lord to reveal himself to you. If you, it just seems like he's not around and, and you know, I hope that he shows you that he is in plain sight, in plain sight. You just have to open your spiritual eyes. So with that, let's open up with a word of prayer, prayer and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Lord, Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have brought us all here, Lord. There's a reason and purpose for that, and we trust in that. We may not understand it, we may not get it, but we know that you are good, we know that you are holy, and that, um, again, you're all knowing about everything, Lord. So... For those that are here, I pray that you will um, minister to them, that they will hear this message and, and be blessed, and that you will speak to them loudly and clearly. And the same thing applies to those that are watching online, wherever they may be, whether it's here locally or whether it's around the world, somewhere around the world, that you will use this message to, to change hearts, change minds, Lord, change lives. They will see your son for who he really is and commit their lives to him to him because that's what this is all about Lord. change lives change hearts people being saved people being born again 
So now speak to us loudly through your word. Soften our hearts and minds. And fill this room with your Holy Spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And last week, we covered just the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how beautiful that was and how that is significant important and significant and important to every to not just the church to our Christian faith but to you personally um, and so now we've we left off in verse 12 and so today we'll be picking up in verse 13 Luke chapter 24 verse 13 and the word of God says now that same day two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus which was about seven miles from Jerusalem together they were discussing everything that had taken place and while they were discussing and arguing Jesus himself came near and began to walk with them but they were prevented from recognizing him then he asked them what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in those days? What things? he asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they did not find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. In this section that we just read, Luke tells us about an event that is unique to this particular gospel. It's not going to be found in any of the, in, in Matthew, Mark, or John. Now, some have suggested that the second unnamed individual in this story might have been Luke himself. Other theories was that it was the wife of Cleopas or a friend or companion. Um, but yes, some have suggested that it was actually Luke. In any case, our passage began with Luke informing us that on the same day of the resurrection, two of Jesus's disciples were on their way to a village called Emmaus. Now, I may be pronouncing that wrong, but 
I, you get the idea. Not much is really known about this village other than what we're told here. And that, that basically it was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And the name means spring or warm springs, which uh, it was probably named that because maybe at one time they were, there were springs there a uh, long, long time ago before this, this narrative. Um, but that's what the name means. This particular village, like many others of that time, no longer exists as it may have been destroyed by the Roman invasion. Well, it appears that those two disciples had one topic of conversation. All the events that had taken place during those past few days, as they were continuing discussing and arguing these things towards their destination, as they walked towards their destination, they were joined by a new traveler who began to walk along with them. That quiet stranger was none other than the Lord Jesus. But as verse 16 says, they were prevented from recognizing him. So here our Lord, by doing this, was confirming the words that he said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Now, we have to understand that walking with strangers along the roads that led in, into and out of Jerusalem, it wasn't strange, it wasn't uncommon for someone just to walk and approach a group or two or three individuals and just start walking with them. Since it was safer to travel in groups than by yourself, because it was always that, that threat of being jumped, of being robbed. Um, so when this stranger approached Cleopas and, and the, other, the other disciple, it was just a normal thing for them. It wasn't a big deal. So why, though, couldn't they recognize him? Well, it wasn't because he was a stranger. Rather, they couldn't recognize him because God kept it from them until he was ready for the son to be known. Now, the, the reality of our Christian walk, our Christian faith, is that there's not a lot of things, there's a lot of things that we don't know about God. But over time, he reveals the things you need to know so that you may grow in your faith and in your obedience. Now, as Christians, you should expect to face questions to which you do not have the answer. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know. It's not part of the faith to pretend that you have the answer for every question. Faith bows before the mystery of what God has kept hidden. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, the hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever, so that we may follow all the words of this law. 
living by faith means accepting the limits of revelation and affirming the reality of revelation. We normally put the emphasis on God, on what God has revealed, but it is equally important to affirm what God has kept hidden. There will be times in your life when you say, I can't, I can make absolutely no sense of this, but God knows. The secret things belong to God. They belong to the Lord. And the Lord who knows them is my Heavenly Father. Faith lives with unanswered questions. If you can grasp this, it will settle you in the unsettling things of life. So as they continued, so as Jesus, as, as a stranger, continued to walk alongside of those two disciples, it didn't take long for Jesus to insert himself into the conversation with a natural question. What are you guys talking about? Well, his question stopped them from progressing even further, stopped them dead, on their, dead in their tracks. And their immediate response came from the look on their faces, not by the words of their mouths. Both of their faces revealed the sadness, the grief, and discouragement they felt in their hearts. Then one of them, Cleopas, responded back by asking if he was the only visitor in Jerusalem who was unaware of what had happened there. Surely by then, everyone who had been in the city would have known or heard or seen what had happened about the crucifixion and possibly even the rumors about, about angels and an empty tomb. But Jesus wanted to know more. And what they thought and what they believed about those things. So he pressed them even further by asking, what things? Did Jesus know? Of course he knew. He, knew. he lived it. He experienced it. That was him. But he asked them so that they would pour their, their hearts out to him. You see, even though he also knew their hearts, there was value in saying it to Jesus. Sometimes we may think, the Lord already knows what's going on. Why should I pray? Why should I even bother? He, he's all-knowing, almighty, all, he's God. He knows what's going on. But if you're a parent, you already know the answer. When your child has something to share with you, something that you already know about, that you're already aware about, you already know the stories and the facts, a parent, a mother, a father wants to hear it from his son and daughter. So too, Jesus would say to you today, talk to me, talk to me about that trouble at work at home, 
in that relationship, in that friendship. Talk to me about your struggles, about your sins, your anxieties. Let me know what they are. Let me know what's in your heart. Yes, I may already know about it, but I want to hear it from you. And talking the events, and talking over the events that had transpired there in Jerusalem, the two on the road to Emmaus was, uh, will find themselves convicted by their own words. As they started talking to the Lord, you'll see that they will start, they will inadvertently give all sorts of reasons for why they shouldn't have been sad and weak in faith. This is the beauty of prayer. Read the Psalms and you'll find the psalmist often pouring out his complaints to the Lord. By the time he works through it, about 10 verses later usually, he ends by giving praise to the Lord. When I talk things over with the Lord and recount the situation to him, oftentimes I begin to see that I'm wrong. When at times I get frustrated with my wife or my children and I come to the Lord about it and I start complaining. He does reveal it to me. He does say, it's not them, angel, it's you. It's your pride. It's your, you know, it's a junk you have in your heart. Just deal with it. And I've, I've learned my lesson. I know enough by now that not to ignore when he tells me, reveals these things to me. And I hope that you know, that's, that's some advice I want to give to you. When the Lord shows you that you're wrong, don't tell the Lord, hey, Lord, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm not the one with the problem. They're the ones with the problem. And there's something wrong with your heart. And, and listen to what the Lord is telling you. Once you recognize it, once you see it in your own heart, deal with it. However, whether it's asking for forgiveness or forgiving somebody, but deal with it immediately. Don't hold on to it. Give it to him. Let him know about it. He wants to heal you. He wants to bring you closer to him. He wants to remove all those things that you have in your life that are getting in the way of having a beautiful, loving, close relationship with him. So, again, back in our passage, in verses 19 through 24, they begin to describe the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Now, the purpose of this was to accomplish two things. First, it was Luke's way of rehearsing his historical narrative one more time. He was summarizing everything that he had spoken, that he had written about so far here in this gospel. But here he took care to include all the most relevant facts about Jesus' identity. Second, this description is meant to show us what Cleopas and his companion did know about Jesus, which was this, 
They knew his name and where he was from. They knew he was a prophet. They knew he was powerful in action and word. They knew he was crucified. They knew he promised to redeem Israel. They knew others had said he had risen from the dead. Now it's also important to note in all this that in verse 24, 21, it says that these two men were hoping. This tells us that they had hope, but now it was a hope disappointed. In all reality, though, their hope was in some ways more misguided than truly disappointed. You see, like many at that time, they were looking for Jesus to redeem Israel. But he would show them that he's the Redeemer who freed them from sin and death. Also, keep in mind that these disciples were slow to believe because the only thing they had on their, the only thing they had to go on was the testimony of others, which really wasn't much. As I mentioned last week, the women, the testimony of women wasn't really seen as credible, even though these disciples knew these women and, 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 uh, they knew their integrity, they knew the kind of lives they had, they trusted them. The report of the women meant little to them. And neither, get this, neither did the report of Peter and John who went to the tomb. Why? Because they didn't see anything. There was nothing there. They didn't even see the angels the women had seen. All they saw, all Peter saw was some linen cloths. So instead, of going out to look for Jesus or even staying where the disciples were or waiting to or to wait to, for Jesus to come to them those two men simply left Jerusalem for the safety and familiarity of Emmaus as you can see Hearing the story of the resurrection didn't elicit faith immediately from those disciples. All it did was it astonished them. It astounded them. They were like, oh, that is great. That is awesome. That is beautiful. They were astounded. But it didn't move them to faith. Here, Jesus wanted to know from them what he wants to know from us today. Can you believe without seeing with your own eyes? If you're the kind of person that needs to see visual proof that something happened or that to make you believe in something, then that's not faith. We all believe in things that we don't understand and we don't get. So why not believe that God could raise, did raise his son from the grave? Do you actually need visual proof? Again, if you do, that's not faith. See, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, 
There it tells us faith is a reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Now, let me also add this point. When it comes to the resurrection, we can believe and we must believe. Why? Because it's based on the, the testimony of reliable eyewitnesses. They believed because they saw and touched with their own eyes and hands. And none of them, we don't see a story or a, uh, any kind of historical document that says that any of them recanted because they knew what they saw and believed it. Well, it was at this, it was at this point that Jesus had, had, had heard enough. He called them out for being foolish and for being slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. See, the evidence was right in front of them. And they couldn't see it because they didn't understand and believe what the scriptures said. Perhaps if they had taken the words of the former prophets and applied them to Jesus, they would have immediately recognized who was standing in front of them. Get this, the Lord even tried to help them out by asking, wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? <laughs> Their silence, though, proved that the Lord was right. They may have known the scriptures. They may have known them in their minds, but it wasn't real in their hearts. One reason for this was that they were reading scripture and interpreting it to fit a narrative that met their own expectations, which in all reality was completely reversed. They were looking at scripture and expecting for the Messiah to first establish the glory of the Davidic kingdom on earth before his death. Jesus, however, read scripture with an entirely, in an entirely different way. He started with Isaiah 53 and saw suffering as the first necessity for the Messiah. Only after suffering and death would glory be achieved. And this would be a glory entered after death, not a glory established on earth. Then in verse 27, these two disciples received what each of us would give anything to have Jesus' own interpretation of Scripture. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the Scriptures. Our Lord did this to show them how the intention and wording of the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures perfectly prepared the way for Jesus to come, minister, teach, heal, exercise, be, be, be betrayed, suffer, die, and enter glory. 
So you see, rather than using himself to help them understand what scripture said, I've risen from the dead. So let me tell you where scripture says that. He used passages like Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and 69 so that they'd see for themselves that those passages were about him. Interpreting the scriptures also describes how Jesus taught them. Now, in some of your other translations, that word interpreting may be, instead of interpreting, it may say explained or expounded. The ancient Greek word for all these is derumenio and has the idea of sticking sticking close to the text. So when Jesus explained these things concerning himself in the Old Testament, he didn't use fanciful allegories or speculative ideas. He interpreted them by sticking close to the actual text. This is an important lesson for anyone with a desire, with a heart to teach the Bible. See, when it comes to interpreting or expounding what the Word of God says, one ought to simply allow the text to speak for itself rather than speaking for the text. This is what every Bible teacher should do to the best of his or her ability. Whether it's in a church or in Sunday school class. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. There are a lot of teachers out there, and maybe you've seen, know, or heard many of them who are out there who think that their role is to come up with their own interpretation of what the Bible says. And it breaks my heart to see images of thousands of people flocking to their churches, sitting there, listening, and following men who lead these churches that teach false, false doctrines. You know, those who teach the, the health and prosperity gospel. And it saddens me when I see the stuff they're selling, the stuff they're trying to to deceive people about just so that they can enrich themselves. And you have your other, you know, doctrines that are completely way out there. And I mean, you can go on and on. I mean, there is plenty of examples that we, we can go on and I can probably spend the next half hour telling you about so many false doctrines and teachers out there. But again, the sad part about it is that they're out there and deceiving people. A good, a good Bible teacher knows their role and understands they have a responsibility to study the Bible thoroughly, interpret, interpret it accurately, and then teach it correctly. We know that the key to helping other people understand what the Bible says is to show them how Jesus is in every single page 
of the Bible. This is why I believe so strongly that expositional teaching is important. And one of the main reasons why we here at Fresh Vision Church teach the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. I don't pick and choose topics based on how I'm feeling for the day and pull out other scriptures to make it fit into that topic. No, I preach whatever is in that passage and whether it makes you uncomfortable, I, I teach it. Whether it makes me uncomfortable, I teach it. Because it's God's word. And he has us there. He has us. Right now, he has us in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 25 for a reason. I may not fully understand it. I'm teaching it. I'm sharing it. I've learned a lot as I studied it. But maybe there's someone here or someone listening or watching that needed to hear this message, that needed to hear these words. So I have to trust in that. I have to believe in that. And that's why I hope that every single time I'm up here, that I'm teaching it accurately. I, I mean, I, I spend hours throughout the week preparing for today. I know the responsibility and the weight of teaching this, and I'm going to be held accountable before God of what I say to all of you. Even if just one, per, even if it was just one person here, I would be accountable for what I said to them. So, do I take this seriously? Yes, I do, and I want to teach it to you all as accurately as, pos as, as possible. Again, this is part of the DNA of also of other Calvary Chapel churches. If you go to any other Calvary Chapel around the city, around the country. You're going to be, the styles may be a little bit different. The pastors, of course, will be different. You may have more out, like really loud ones. You will have more quiet ones. Maybe, you know, all kinds of different, you know, pastors. But we all have this heart to, to teach the Bible expositionally, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's part of our DNA. Well, Luke ended, well, had Luke ended this story here, we would have, we'd be left with a lot of questions, but he didn't. So now let's read the conclusion of this particular section here uh, about what happened with these two men by picking up in verse 28, Luke chapter 24, verse 8. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. And we're speaking about Jesus here. But they urged him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was, it was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. 
They said to each other, verse 32, they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning with, within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, that very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them gathered together who said the Lord has <clears throat> the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon and they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread the end of this passage shows us once again that even after the resurrection Jesus always the purpose and reason for the things that he does well, after having talked to Jesus and listening to him, they finally came near the village of a mouse. Maybe that's where they lived, to, that's where they made their homes. But our Lord gave the impression that he was going to continue on his journey, that he was going to go on further. When they saw this, when they realized this, they urged him to stay with them for the rest of the evening. Why did they do this? They had been won over by the word of God. And they didn't even know who the stranger was. Just by simply Jesus explaining the scriptures to them. And still they didn't, again, he was still a stranger. They didn't understand that it was about, that it was Jesus talking to them, but they were won over by the word of God. It wasn't the stranger again, it was the word of God that won them over. All they knew was that their hearts were burning within them, within them and they wanted the blessing to last. Know this, my friends, the more we receive the more you receive the Word of God the more you will want to fellowship with God in his word the hymn writer expressed it perfectly beyond the sacred page I seek thee Lord first Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1 teaches us that understanding Bible knowledge can lead to being puffed up but receiving Bible truth, truth and walking with the Savior will lead to a burning heart. And that burning heart will lead us to want to be with him more and to hear from him more. I think I mentioned it again last week that you should have this strong desire to be in his word as much as possible to listen to bible studies to come to church it shouldn't be a burden it shouldn't be like oh i have to go back there to church and hear angels speak again and no you should be looking forward if to just being here fellowshipping and and opening god's word and at least reading his word you can ignore everything i have to say but his word is what is powerful it, it it's his word that changes lives jeremiah chapter 15 verse 16 gives us a good description of what this is like 
There it says, your words are found and I ate them. Your words became delight to me and the joy of my heart. It should taste sweet like honey. It should be beautiful to you. Well, Jesus accepted their invitation. And at dinner, as he reclined at the table with them, he acted as host by taking the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Now, this was something that he had done often. And the last time he did this was during the Last Supper. However, the distinct way in which he broke the bread and distributed it to them, it, it caught their attention. All of a sudden, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. The supernatural obscurity was replaced by supernatural illumination. Now, one commentator suggested a few possible ways that they might have recognized Jesus in the breaking of bread. Perhaps it was the way he took the place of the host with a quiet air of majesty. Perhaps it was the way he gave the blessing over the meal they would eat, or just maybe it was the pierced hands that gave them the bread. However it was, whether by word or hand, they felt, irresist they felt irresistibly that this was he. Some little action, some dear familiar trait told them in a flash that this was the Christ. This was Jesus. But just as quickly as that recognition came, he quickly disappeared from their sight. I have any of you ever considered the possibility that Jesus might be right in front of you, walking with you, sitting down with you at every meal? If he did, would you be able to see him clearly? Or would your eyes be restrained from seeing him? I'm sure any of us could be absolutely certain we'd recognize him. We would say, yeah, of course I would recognize him. He's my savior. He's my Lord. But see, even if you were on a spiritual high, even if you were in the highest spiritual mountain for today or for a week, for a month, for a year, that doesn't mean that you'll always have, be on that same spiritual high tomorrow. So would you be able to recognize him when, even when you're not? Even when life is kicking you while you're down, would you be able to recognize that Jesus is there? So although we'd like to say that we hope we would, in all reality, we can't really know for sure. We therefore should pray that God would open our eyes to see Jesus as he is, as being with us all the time. I saw this prayer online and I wanted to, to share it with you. It's, it's really short. It's called Prayer to See God's Glory. It says, Dear Heavenly Father, I know you are here with me. I feel your presence 
Still, my loving Lord, won't you show me your glory? Even though I'm just a tiny speck in your great universe, reveal to me once more, as you have done since the beginning, your splendor and majesty. Open my eyes and heart, O Lord, to see your greatness. From each blade of grass to the brilliance of a shining star a million miles away, let me look again and behold your mighty hand working in lives and souls around me. You free us and heal us. You make us, you make the change. You deliver miracles and the transformed life is your greatest work of all. Even Christ was astounded by the, by a man or woman's faith as it is of God. Show me your glory, O Lord, and may my life somehow glorify my Savior resurrected. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I thought that was a beautiful prayer, again, describing the kind of prayer you should pray to have God open your eyes to see Jesus as he is. Well, when that after he had disappeared, they be immediately began to share the thoughts and feelings with each other. Their grief had blinded them. Their attention to their own loss and sorrow prevented them from focusing on God and finding what God was doing for them at that very moment. And all this was a part of what God was doing. So they could hear Jesus out before they realized what was happening. This shows us that it is possible for a disciple to see the risen Lord without knowing he was seeing the risen Lord. Do you guys get that? Let me repeat that. This shows us that it is possible for a disciple to see the risen Lord without knowing he was seeing the risen Lord. Resurrection faith depended on more than just physical presence and physical sight. It, depend, it depended on spiritual presence and spiritual sight. That came in the breaking of the bread. A symbolic act that took them back to the night of the Lord's Supper. They knew their hearts burned. They knew something special was happening as they heard Jesus explain scripture. But they did not know him until they broke bread together. The second, the two disciples had to share their experience. They couldn't keep it quiet. No one in their village in Emmaus had would understand. The only ones that would were the other disciples. So that very hour they got up and went back to Jerusalem. Again, remember that they had just arrived, taking those seven miles, walked those seven miles from Jerusalem to that village. And now they got up just a few hours later and made that decided to make that seven hour or seven mile walk back but that seven mile walk back to jerusalem was different than the earlier one that walk to the mouse was a depressingly slow walk now the walk back to jerusalem was an excitedly fast walk they had the passion to tell the great news of Jesus' resurrection. Well, when they arrived, they found the eleven to get, uh, gathered together. 
However, the two, those two disciples soon realized they weren't the first ones to see him and their story wasn't unique. Although all the women couldn't convince them that Jesus was alive, there was one that could, Simon, or as we, other, as we know him, Peter. So what's the difference? Why did they not believe the woman and why did they believe Peter? For them, it was the fact that Jesus had appeared personally to Simon and revealed himself to him. Now Luke doesn't tell us the story of how Jesus revealed himself to Simon Peter. He simply reports that Simon's story had convinced the others of the reality of the resurrection. And so here we learn another interesting fact about the resurrection. People could believe without seeing the risen Christ. In other words, personal appearance wasn't, wasn't necessary to make people believe. A strong personal testimony about being with the risen Jesus was the necessary ingredient to make the resurrection story believable. Cleopas and the other man then added, their, then added to their testimony by emphasizing that for them, recognition only came by the, when, they, well, when they broke bread. Their point was that physical presence wasn't enough. They needed the spiritual presence of the supper with the Lord. And in so doing, they left the ongoing church a reminder. When we gather as a church, and if you're with us, if you're going to be here with us next week, we'll be uh, partaking in communion together. But when we gather as a church during communion, we need to remember to remember his body and blood Jesus is here present with us maybe he's spoken to you as I've gone through this past passage and shared this message and now he you want him to reveal himself to you. You want to know him more a bit. He's still obscure. Well, let me tell you this. The Lord is willing. He's ready and willing to reveal himself clearly to each and every single one of you. All those that are watching and listening online, he wants to reveal himself to you. He's ready to do that. All you have to do is open the doors of your heart and allow him to come in. To accept him as your Lord and Savior but you must and this is the important you must recognize what he did on the cross for you that he when he hung there he paid the penalty for your sins you were the one who deserved the full wrath of God for the sins that for all the sins that you've committed but he took them on in order to forgive you. So if you believe that he did that for you and you believe that he's the son of God and that he's been risen from the grave and you are now ready to be born again, you're not ready to receive him and accept him as your Lord and Savior. I want to invite you to, I want to lead you in a prayer to do that by closing your eyes and 
bowing your head and praying this prayer with all sincerity from the bottom of your heart. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I now turn from my sins and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me in my new born-again life. In your name, amen. It's that simple, ladies and gentlemen. If you pray that from the bottom of your heart, the Lord knows and he's giving you new life. So let us know about it. Reach out to us. Give us a phone call. Send us an email. Fill out that contact form that's on our webpage, and we'll get back to you. Maybe I can help you find a church in your area, or you know, I can mail you a Bible, or maybe just encourage you with more scripture. But let us know if you're here in the area. We invite you to come and check us out, and and. Uh, just to, to visit us again. We're not, we're not gonna hold you here hostage. We're not gonna, you know, make you, you know, pressure you to stay here. You know, no, we want everyone to be here that wants to be here. And, but I'll tell you this, that we're not gonna put on a show. We're not gonna put on lights and smoke and, you know, we're, I'm just gonna teach you the word of God, as I mentioned earlier, because that's what changes people, the word of God. So if that's what you'd like, again, we're on the corner of Gateway and Hondo Pass. Um, and uh, let me know, and we'll, we'll get you hooked up, the Bible or whatnot. But thank you again for checking us out and visiting us, and let us know what we can do for you. Again, thank you, and goodbye, and farewell.